You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Have you heard? The RHISAC Cyber Intelligence Summit is coming to Denver, Colorado from April 9th through the 11th. The summit is part of the RHISAC's mission to help improve cybersecurity across the entire retail and hospitality sector. As a result, it has become the can't-miss event for retail and hospitality cybersecurity practitioners. Join us for three days of professional development and networking with the brightest minds in retail and hospitality cybersecurity. Attendees have access to prominent thought leaders and industry experts and plenty of opportunities for collaboration. For more information and to register, visit summit.rhisac.org. That's summit.rhisac.org. We can't wait to see you in April. Good little boys and girls. This is Luke Vanderlinden, Vice President of Membership at the Retail and Hospitality Information Sharing and Analysis Center. And our gift to you this week is the RHISAC Podcast. As this is the busiest time of year for the elves, reindeers, and other cybersecurity professionals in the retail space, I imagine most of you are heads down, busy working, and not listening to your favorite retail and hospitality cybersecurity podcast. But for those of you who are out there, we have a couple great interviews for you. The first is with Paul Suarez. Paul is the CISO of huge convenience store group Casey's. He's responsible for the security at Casey's over 2,500 stores across the U.S. Midwest. They're the largest U.S.-based convenience store chain. And fun fact, as those of you who live in their service area know, Casey's is famous for their pizza, which makes them the fifth largest pizza chain in the U.S. as well. You know, we recorded the conversation with Paul at our summit in Plano, Texas, back in October. We actually recorded lots of interviews there because it was such a great opportunity with so many CISOs and other cybersecurity professionals all in one place at one time. And it's not just a great opportunity for podcast recording, but for attendees. Imagine rubbing shoulders and talking shop with such an esteemed group of your fellow cybersecurity professionals. As you've heard me announce before, our next summit is in Denver, Colorado, April 9th through 11th. Registration is open and already humming along. Just go to summit.rhisac.org for more information. Now back to this episode, I also sit down with my colleague, Jackie Delaplane. Jackie is a relatively new staff member at the RHISAC, but already making your mark. She's responsible for the smooth operation of our working groups, although I'm sure she'll remind me that they are member-run. We have just about two dozen of them, mostly built around professional domains in the greater cybersecurity landscape. I say greater because as the definition of cybersecurity keeps creeping larger and larger, not all of these domains always report up to the CISO. And I remind you that if you are a member, there is no limit to the number of your teammates that can participate in your membership. It's all you can eat. So grab those folks down the hall in third-party risk or identity and access management, and let's get them signed up for a working group that will help them protect your company and your customers even better. One other note before we get started, this will be the last episode before the Christmas season. Yes, usually we publish one episode at the beginning of the month and one at the end. We're taking the second episode of December off this year. 
I don't know if you or our other listeners will consider that a gift or coal in your stocking. That's up for you to decide. But I truly do want to thank you all for listening this year. This also means it'll be the last episode of the year. When we come back next year, we're going to kick off a series of amazing interviews that our president, Susie Squire, did with some of the CISOs that founded the RHISAC. Why? Well, 2024 is our 10th anniversary. It's been quite the decade, not just for our organization, but also for cybersecurity as an ever-changing and adapting profession. We have a lot to celebrate and to reflect on. So something to look forward to starting in January. Of course, if you have something cybersecurity related that you'd like to contribute to that celebration and or reflection, shoot us an email at podcast at rhisac.org, or if you're a member, hit me up on Slack or Member Exchange. And if your company is not yet a member of the RHISAC, make a New Year's resolution to join. Go to rhisac.org slash join to learn more and to start the process. Excellent. We are joined now by Paul Suarez, CISO and VP at Casey's General Stores. Welcome to the RHISAC podcast. It's good to be here. Good to be here, Luke. Excellent. So, uh, it's good to see you again. I think I saw you last at the NRF Big Show in New York. That was great. Um, and so you're very active in the in the retail cybersecurity community, uh, and you're a native New Yorker, I think. Uh, so you were visiting home at that. At Born that in show. Queens, absolutely. That's excellent. So tell us a little bit about how you uh, got to where you are today at Casey General Stores. Okay. Um, well, I'm trying to make a long story short. Okay, that's okay. Uh, born in New York City, raised in New Jersey, wanted to be a pilot for the Air Force. So I went to the Air Force Academy. Colorblind, so I didn't fly for the Air Force, but I still served a career because okay. uh, I was enjoying it. It was in technology, uh, and towards the tail end of my career, uh, was doing some cybersecurity-related things uh, for the Air Force, and I realized this may be a, a, a big industry. Excellent. I should consider going into this after I retired. Um, had the uh, fortune of joining a startup, uh, NetWitness, cybersecurity startup. Okay. So for my first three years after I retired from the Air Force, I was working with cybersecurity manufacturers, uh, NetWitness, okay. Avaya, uh, for the first three years. But I wanted to get back into the operations side, and so mm -hmm. that's what led me to Walmart. Uh, moved down okay. to Bentonville, Arkansas, security engineering, international CISO at Walmart. And then Casey's came calling, and I said, yes, I will move from Arkansas to Des Moines, Iowa, uh, be the first CISO for Casey's and have been now in, in Des Moines and with Casey's for about two and a half years. That's great. It would probably be a big change for a boy from New York to, uh, to get My first time times. living in the Midwest, uh -huh. and I think I had only visited a handful of times my entire life. So yes, I'm, I'm learning about the Midwest. I'm trying to get out and visit as many sites as I can and, and kind of be a Midwesterner. Excellent. Well, thank you for your service in the military. We have a lot of um, veterans uh, who work in our industry, which is so it's kind of neat and it's a great... Uh, area for training for cybersecurity, it seems it like. It is. And that's one of my passions, Luke, is um, trying to uh, hire and develop veterans to be able to work in this industry uh, because there's a natural uh, path for many of us into the defense industry mm -hmm. business, basically selling back to the U.S. government. But I chose this uh, path, working on the civilian side, if you right. will, in industry. And I think there's a lot of opportunities for veterans uh, to do that because, like you said, uh, we're naturally guardians, if you will, and mm -hmm. a personality oh, sure. uh, type of uh, uh, construct. And so uh, cybersecurity is just a natural fit for for many veterans. And yes, I'm, I'm very passionate about that and and have seen a number of veterans in the space, which is refreshing. Yeah, that's great. Um, so uh, Casey's General Stores, I, th I think it's the third largest C-store owner operator in the country. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Third. And 
And uh, for, I'm not in the service area, so I've never been to one, but I hear pizza is a big deal. Correct. Yeah. So that's uh, Casey's made their name uh, with pizza. Gas station pizza is a thing in Iowa. Uh -huh. uh, we love talking about it, but uh, third largest convenience store chain in the U.S., um, fourth highest number of liquor licenses in the country. Oh, wow. That's so terrific. we obviously sell beer and wine at all okay. of our stores and the fifth largest pizza chain in the U.S. That's amazing. Yes. And, and how many locations are there? Casey's is at 2,500, moving towards 2,600 locations in a 17-state footprint centered around Iowa in the Midwest. Mm. Uh, but we just uh, bought our first stores and we're starting into Texas oh, wow. uh, with an acquisition of a chain called Lone Star. Okay, so that's that's a pretty quick growth. Um, and I, I is most of it uh, organic, or is a lot most of it through purchasing of of other properties? Like combination of the two. Uh, I asked that same question when I started with Casey's. We still build. We call them NTI, new to industry stores, okay. uh, in the neighborhood of thirty to sixty per year. Oh um, wow! And then we've added uh, through acquisition the the remainder uh, because to stick with our three year strategic plan. We need to add about 100, 110 stores per year uh, so that we can get to the, the the number that we've promised the street, which is 350 right. over our three-year strategic plan period, which is, this is the first year of it. That's incredible. And for you and your role to have to protect that Correct. expansion so quickly, that's a lot of challenges there, I met. It is because there's the due diligence of the assets we're going to buy. Are they set up to right. accept payment card industry standards? Um, are there any other digital risks that are out there with this acquisition? Once we do buy them, there's a transition period where they still operate under their former logo. Um, uh -huh. And so, but we're responsible for care and feeding of the entity and then we'll convert them to Casey's. Uh, at some point, and then that's where we bring in our full security stack okay. and make them like every other Casey's, which is the the scale that we bring is that economy of scale that allows us to do what we do. Can can you do like a security in a box and have like this is the new store kind of kit? We actually call it store in a box, okay. and that's exactly what we do. We have a standard set of tools that go in with a, a new store uh, to include all of the other point of sale. Um, handheld devices, things like that, that uh, is exactly what we do so that there's a very repeatable, predictable um, process for buying and outfitting a new store. That's great. That routinization probably helps a great deal. It does. Yeah. yeah. And it minimizes the, the challenge for my team. It was actually a question I asked the CEO when I was interviewing was how Casey's approached acquisitions. Mm -hmm. uh, my previous company, a lot of the acquisitions were only partially integrated or they would operate as an independent entity and yet there was demand to have, you know, um, read and write access in the Outlook space over the Microsoft tools and uh -huh. sharing that, but they weren't integrated. So it produced a lot of challenges. Um, there was a phrase we had in the, in the, in the company, non-networked entity. So <laughs> you, it, meant, it meant the company bought something, but we hadn't integrated them, mm -hmm. but you were still responsible. I was still right. responsible for their security. Um, Casey's doesn't do it that way. We tend to have our store in a box. We bring okay. it in. And so it, you get, it becomes another extension of our enterprise when we rebrand and you'll see a new logo on the outside. Right. So, uh, pizza, liquor, I imagine also have lots of fuel, right? We sell gasoline as well. So that's another layer of, I mean, we, we have a lot of fuel retailers, some who are pure play fuel and that's primary, but also supermarkets that are in the fuel business. Skimmers are a huge problem. So that physical security is still a big deal. Yeah, you're right. Physical and also the digital security because uh, one of the challenges we have with fuel is 
we can't use the same point of sale inside the store outside because there are a lot of fleet users uh-huh. that come to a Casey's. We have truck stops and they're going to fill up with, you know, a couple hundred gallons. And wow. so a regular consumer pump won't work for them. And so we have fleet fuel or commercial fuel mm-hmm. set up. Uh, and that's a totally different payment methodology. There's different discounts they get okay. for the volumes. And oh, wow. so it's a different point of sale and therefore different technology. And then we have to also provide the security against still the pump skimmers, uh, but also there's a lot of fuel fraud that goes on when you sell 5 billion gallons of gasoline in a year. Uh, and we have to defend against that. And more importantly, look for the early indicators of fraud so we can pretty much nip it in the bud. Right. Do you find, because um, we have a couple of other um, more like truck stop operators like you, and do, do you find collaborating with them on, on those particular unique issues valuable as part of the RHI sec? We do. As a matter of fact, uh, my team actually reached out to other convenience stores that are selling fuel and created like a mini group within the RHI SAC. I don't know what they call it, but it's a fuel and fuel fraud focused group that we share intelligence, what's, Mm -hmm. you know, going on in the industry, um, and also try to figure out what's the best way that we can engage our law enforcement partners to help us collectively defend against the, the fraud that happens you know, usually in a very regional nature. Sure, yeah, because because of the physical nature, it's probably often regional. Correct, yeah. And that's one thing that's unique about fuel fraud is you have to present yourself at one of our stores to defraud us. Right. You know, you're eventually going to come by a Casey's to get the gas, you know, and we just have to be able to try to intercept that transaction and not allow it to happen or detect it after the fact so that the third or fourth time you visit, we're not going to allow you to continue to, to defraud continue us. Yeah. Right. Uh, so uh, something our listeners may not know is that uh, we're actually recording this in person with each other at the RHI SAC Summit, are, yes. uh, which is exciting for us, and I'm uh, glad you could join us in person. Uh, you were on a panel earlier this morning, and you talked about uh, how to share, how to create a, kind of, a, a kind of culture of sharing uh, within your department. Can you talk to a little, little bit about that? Yeah, I think one of the values of the RHI SAC, and I think it's something that any practitioner in cybersecurity should search for is, what are the groups that I can collaborate with to help myself raise my level of awareness, raise my level of knowledge of what's going on in the industry? RHISAC is a wonderful tool for that. The ability for us to not just share org structures and tools that we use and um, maybe metrics. I've used it to ask, hey, what kind of metrics do right. any any of the other members use? But then the intelligence sharing space is, is hugely important because, and I'm, I'm looking at, you know, some notes from the previous summit, we're stronger together, you mm-hmm. know? And as long as we can protect as one, my, you know, attack against me, if I can share it as quickly as possible, then maybe it will, you know, help the rest of the membership defend against it and not allow that hacker to be successful. Right. That's terrific. I appreciate that a great deal. Uh, one of the newer ways that we've spun up to share uh, is our instance of MISP, uh, which is a great platform for cyber threat intelligence sharing. Uh, one of your colleagues, Diego, uh, is doing a panel on that as yeah, well on how they use it. How do you guys uh, implement that in your in your shop? Diego drove that implementation. I think we realized there's a lot of intelligence sources out there, intelligence feeds. Um, I'm all about having the intelligence feeds be as machine to machine level as possible. Mm-hmm. Take out right. the take the human out of the middle of it. Um, try to make it something that's consumable because the more I, the more textual it becomes, the harder it is for us to be able to build that into our defenses, build that into our tech. Mm-hmm. And MISP is beautiful in that 
when the information is posted, there are IOCs we can use for hunts. There are mm-hmm. specific uh, mechanisms we can use depending on the security stack that we're using to defend against things. And so I love the flexibility that it offers us. Also, the search capability mm-hmm. for looking for like kind of uh, risks out there, Luke. And so um, it's proven to be a huge benefit for us. And I brag about you know our ability to ingest intelligence and use that to cue us as to where the next attack is coming. Yeah, the, the automation potential with MISP is incredible, and, and that frees up your analyst time to do more Correct. human being-related things. Correct, more you're right. Things yeah, for them. exactly. That's great. So um, you've uh, been in this industry for a long time, as you told us. So w- what are some of the changes you've seen over the course of your career and involvement in cybersecurity? You know, I think the... Um, the one that's been surprising to me, and it's actually, it's Cybersecurity Awareness Month right now. And so I'm using it as kind of the pivot point uh, in my uh, discussions. And that is, if we're asking you to do something to protect Casey's information when you're a team member of Casey's, it's probably a good idea for you to do that in your personal digital lives as well. Um, There is nothing I'm gonna ask you to do, whether it's MFA, whether it's use of a password vault, whether it's locking down your browser that you probably shouldn't also do on your personal lives. Mm. And I think the surprise is it used to be, hey, let me share that with my, you know, immediate family members and children. We need to share it with our grandparents and our older family members now, because they have digital personas as well. And Mm -hmm. so if you're doing something at your company and you're not using that, leveraging that on the personal side, I think that's that's a little bit disingenuous. And nowadays that should never happen because if it's good for the company, it's actually good for you personally. Right, so it's a security awareness from a human being level, they're your customers too, they're your family members, they're your employees. Correct. All around it protects everything. Right, yeah. And then then looking forward to the future, if you had to predict What's what? Any new hot things? And I haven't brought up those two letters, but you can feel free to A and I. Oh, <laughs> you can feel free to mention anything you like. But what do you think is coming up in the future? Look forward to. You know, I think the thing that still surprises me is the um, desire to monetize information. Mm. I mean, mm. the hackers really. When when you know, I had to come up with the top threats to Casey's. Um, clearly, data and data leakage is a huge threat, whether it's our guests or our team members. And people will ask me, why is that? Because it can be monetized. And Mm -hmm. I think we're sharing more information. Generative AI will make it easier to share because everything will, a lot more things will look legitimate. Right. Um, And so I think that thrust to monetize personal information will only continue and will only get worse because the ability for hackers to get our information is going to become easier. And therefore, how I protect guest and team member data is right. critically important. Leveraging it, alerting on it. Um, is it on a, on a third-party platform somewhere? Is it on-prem? Right. Do I know if that third party does have the data, who they're sharing it with? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's the, the area that I think is going to become much more of a challenge for us is that desire for monetization will make hackers looking for that personal information much stronger right. and actually much easier to get because they'll be able to leverage generative AI and it'll be at a much higher degree of, of quality, basically. Right. Wow. Well, Paul Suarez, VP and CISO at KC General Stories, thank you so much for joining us on the RHISAC podcast. And thank you for being such an active and engaged member for and, and a great model for you, your team and our other members as well. You're welcome, Luke. It's my pleasure.
All right. We are now joined by Jackie Delaplane from our research and outreach and engagement with members department. I always get the name of that department wrong, but you are in charge of the RHI SACS working groups. Yes, I am the Cyber Intelligence Engagement Manager for the RHI SAC, and I manage our nearly 20 working groups. Excellent. Well, welcome to the podcast. It's your first time on. Uh, well well overdue for getting you on the podcast, so, so welcome uh, to this. Uh, and by the way, you and I go back further than your employment here at the RHI SAC. How, how long have you been here? So I've been here for about seven or eight months already. The time has flown. The time has flown. Uh, but you and I met like six or nine months before that uh, when you were at the Western PA Fusion Center and you wanted to partner with the RHI SAC uh, on behalf, I think, of some of your hospitality members. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So we actually have a hotel working group in the city of Pittsburgh. And one of the top kind of complaints or concerns was how can we talk to other members in the same field? And of course, I reached out to you all because you're the experts in that. And yeah, it was just kind of funny. And then here I am. And here you are. Well, we're the experts, not me, but we are the experts in that, which is great. And Pittsburgh's a great city, by the way. I've been to a couple conferences there and great hotels. So uh, you're lucky to live there. It's the Paris of Appalachia. Not many people know that. It's beautiful. Uh, anyway, back to the point at hand. Uh, tell us uh, a little bit about what you do uh, now that you are employed by the RHI SEC and what our working groups are up to. Sure. So we have, like I said, 20 working groups, nearly 20 working groups for our members to collaborate and focus on particular issues. We have domain-specific working groups. So that includes our dark web, our fraud, our identity and access management, incident response, operational technology, risk management, security awareness, third-party management, security awareness, and vulnerability management. So there will be a quiz later. Impressive, by the way, that you have those all memorized. Oh, definitely all memorized. Um, we also have our school-based groups that focus on technology that's commonly used in security staffs. So we have a few of those. And then we also have some special interest groups that are unique to personal roles and responsibilities or even different industry sectors. So we have a BISO working group. We call them the BISO community group. We have our CISO community group. And we even have one that for small cyber teams. That's incredible. You know, um, depending on how a member finds us, they may label us as the source for cyber threat intelligence or uh, a place for their CISOs to interact with each other. But this is really an incredible number. Over two dozen of these working groups that are spun up for different domains, either that traditionally are part of a cybersecurity department or sometimes are kind of adjacent to, as the definition of cybersecurity kind of creeps bigger and bigger, maybe not even reporting to the CISO. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think it's so important for these groups um, to come together. A lot of them have the same job roles, the same job titles. So they're doing the same things in their organization. And it's just a way for them to get together in one group and kind of talk about some of their concerns, best practices, lessons learned. It's a great opportunity. What do members get out of the participation in, in a working group? Sure. So um, most people don't know that our working groups are actually member-led. So our members determine the content, they present, they lead the discussions in these regularly held meetings. Again, they work together, they're meeting each other, they're building relationships, they are 
getting that connection before they might need it. So I just had our working group meetings for planning 2024. And one of the things that our champion said to me was that because of these working groups, he knows the other members so well that he could call them up or email them at any time of the day and say, hey, this is happening, or what do you know about this? And they work so well together because of that relationship built in these working groups. Oh, that's incredible. Because we are, after all, no matter whether whether we're talking about working groups or, or there's other sharing platforms, we create a trusted community. And that kind of interaction is, is what builds a trusted community. So you reeled off the whole list, almost, I think, of, of all of our working groups. If there's a way to distill this, looking back at the year, 2023, what have been some of the trending topics discussed in those working groups? Sure. So some of our popular topics were OSINT techniques to prevent impersonation fraud. That's been a really big topic this year. BSO relationships with internal stakeholders. Um, BSOs have such a unique role where they have to work with technical and non-technical people. And they have so many different stakeholders. So how do you build those relationships? Uh, we talked a lot about passwordless authentication. I mean, you go to any of these security conferences and that's a topic that's on, on everyone's mind. We even had an incident response case study um, that was a TLP red, right? So it was highly uh, so, attended. So say no more. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> highly attended. And then we had we had a meeting for Security Awareness Month for preparation, how people are planning for October. And then we also had a great discussion on risk-based zero-trust framework. Wow, that, that's great. Uh, so touching on a lot of the topics that our members discuss everywhere, are there any presentations that particularly stood out to you? Oh, yeah, we had a really great presentation. This one incorporated our associate members and our member. So this, this presentation was on vulnerability disclosure programs and bug bounty programs. So we had a member who journeyed through the vulnerability disclosure program, which is typically like a first step, baby step, getting to the bug bounty program. And they walked us through their journey. And it was great having the associate member on the call as well, because, of course, they're the expert on that. Um, so they were able to walk us through everything that they helped this member do. And we had such a good response because we have a lot of members who are in that same boat. They're, they're wanting a program. And how do they do it? And, and I would imagine that's a common trend is that we have lots of members who are in the same boat discussing every topic. And so no matter what it is, it's good for a member to raise it because chances are other members will be going through the same thing. So looking at the next year, as we are planning for 2024 in pretty much every single way, uh, what, what do you have on tap? Sure. So I mentioned this before. I'm working with our working group champions. Our champions are just simply um, members who go above and beyond in our working groups. They're helping me plan out 2024. So we're looking at content. We're looking at what worked last year, what didn't work. How can we increase engagement? Um, so we're going to talk about PCI 4.0 updates that BSOs need to know. We're going to talk about assessment methodologies, refund as a service, that's a really popular topic right now, bot attacks, credential stuffing, um, differentiating business risk and IT risk, sharing some impacts, best practices, and lessons learned from recent cybersecurity incidents. That's going to be a TLP red, just as a heads up for our members. It's going to be a good one. 
And then we're going to have some panel discussions on FIDO pass keys and identity governance. So we are looking to have a busy, busy year, just like we did last year. Um, we had, I want to say, 80-some meetings over 2023. So I, I'm looking to have a busy 2024 as well. Excellent. Do you have any words of advice for our members uh, when thinking about the working groups? Yeah. I mean, if you're not in a working group, you should be. Um, I'm not saying that just as me being the manager of the working groups, but really there's a lot of value here. Um, where else do you get the opportunity to be in a room with, you know, 60, 80 people where you can ask for advice and get immediate feedback? Um, where else can you go and, and actually build relationships with members and see them face to face because we are virtual. We have the option for video, right? And you get to meet our other members. You get to know them before you need them. I think it's a, a wonderful opportunity. You know, there's that saying that says, it says it takes a village. Well, we are that village and we have great members. So I just hope that you all get more involved in the working groups. What an incredible resource. And you're an incredible resource. Thanks for uh, joining us, Jackie Delaplane. And just a reminder to any members who are listening there, membership is unlimited. So you're not limited to the number of people that you can credential on our platforms or that could be members of these working groups. So spread the word internally, talk to the, your colleagues down the hall or the virtual hall if you're remote uh, and get them involved. This is a great opportunity, great resource to get connected. Jackie Delaplane, thank you very much for joining us on the RHI SAC podcast. Thank you so much. I listen to every podcast, so I'm really excited to be on. Thanks. Someone has to. Thank you very much. <laughs>